Hello and welcome to Urban Ambling. Makata here. We're going back to Church Hill today to start our amble on this occasion. But before we do that, I, I just want to mention a couple of things that I came across since uh, doing the last episode. You may recall in that episode I mentioned the wonderful old Petty's Hotel, which used to be in York Street and was for quite some years the, uh, the premises of the Red Cross full of the blood bank. As I said in that earlier time, it was a very popular hotel, particularly with people from the country, and it was, you know, quite a flash place. But I came across this very funny reference that in the early or uh, mid-1890s, Robert Louis Stevenson, on one of his trips to Sydney from Samoa, turned up at Petty's Hotel seeking accommodation but he was apparently turned away by the porter because he looked a bit too scruffy, which just goes to show that uh, you've got to be very careful when you judge people by their clothes. The um, other matter I wanted to mention was this, that I came across a painting which was done at about 1800 by a noted surveyor of that time called G.W. Evans, and it's called A View of Sydney, New South Wales, on entering the heads, the distance seven miles. Now, what's terribly interesting when you look at the painting is it makes you realise, firstly, why Darwin would comment on the windmills as he sailed down the harbour, which to us, with all our current knowledge of it, seems a bit odd, but it makes it very clear why he would have commented on the windmills. And the other thing it does is it just makes you realise how tiny and isolated the the settlement at Sydney Cove was. The painting is held in the Mitchell Library. I don't know whether it's in one of those galleries, those marvellous new galleries, but I should go and have a look. But if you can see it, it's worth looking at it because what you see is basically the whole of the harbour that's visible is still all wooded. And then you see just in Sydney Cove, the settlement tucked under Rocks Ridge. And of course, it's along that ridge that the windmills we talked about last time were. So you've basically got the Rocks Ridges cleared, you've got the windmills, you've got the land on Dawes Point, which is where the southern foundations of the Harbour Bridge now are, and you've got the tiny settlement in the valley. But otherwise, there's just this enormous expanse of bush as far away as the Blue Mountains. So it's striking both as to the prominence of the windmills, but also as to 12 or so years after the colony or the settlement was founded, just what a tiny settlement it was, remote from Europe and remote within the land where it was. So we'd better move on after those aside. So we're up, as we say, on the Rocks Ridge. It's a bit hard to sense that these days, but if you stand and look from York Street up along the Sydney Harbour Bridge approaches, you do get that sense of being along the ridge, which is, of course, the western ridge of the Tankstream Valley. And we move from here to go down to the Darling Harbour slopes, you could call it, for indeed, if we were walking down there in the early 1800s, what would have been there is a series of low rolling hills running down to the water of Darling Harbour. So we move off and you've got to negotiate the spaghetti junction of the bridge approaches, but you'll find that there's some underpasses which take you quite pleasantly really through into Kent Street. And when you arrive at the pedestrian crossing, could you cross to the 
western side and then turn right so you're, you're heading north towards the harbour. And the first little lane you'll come across is Gas Lane. Now, we'll turn to that in a, a minute, but can I just mention that Kent Street, which is the street we've come to, was originally called Back Soldiers Row. And you'll recall in an episode uh, back when we were talking about um, P.D. McCormick, about the barracks which uh, occupied what is part of now of Wynyard Park. Well, Kent Street was, the, in fact, the back of that barracks area, so accordingly called Back Soldiers Row. And uh, Governor Macquarie described it as the westernmost street in Sydney, and it had been named, uh, not surprisingly for those times, after the Duke of Kent, who was the brother of the then king. So as I say, Gas Lane runs off pretty soon after you've made the crossing, and it's not a particularly interesting lane now. It's a service lane, basically. But it's worth nicking down because you'll see as you turn into it straight ahead of you quite a lovely low sandstone building. And if you walk down there, you'll see there's a green plaque. There's a few of these around Sydney, or quite a few, really. They were put up by the Royal Australian Historical Society some time ago. But it just details that that sandstone building was, times past, the offices of what was then the Australian Gaslight Company. And indeed, it was in this general area that the first gas plant was founded in Australia, or indeed in Sydney in Australia. The company, Australian Gaslight, which we now called AGL, was founded in 1837. Now, there's a bit of controversy about where the gas works were. Some people say it was up near where the old Caltex house used to be, which is just back in Kent Street. That's going back a lot. But for those of you who are older, you'll recall that that was quite a skyscraper in its day. Or the other view, which I tend to think is probably the right view, is that it was down below on the water. And that would make a lot more sense because the gas was obtained by, uh, horrifically as it sounds these days, burning coal. So you would have had to be near the source of the coal from the ships. And indeed, it, the first lighting of the streets of Sydney with gas occurred on the 25th of May, 1841, and that was accompanied on that day by illuminations because it was Queen Victoria's birthday. And it's probably a wonderful bit of useless information that Sydney was the first city in the Southern Hemisphere to have gas lighting. Now, just before we leave that, can I suggest when you're facing that wonderful low sandstone building, just go to the right and there's a rather steep set of stairs running down to the lower level, which is an area still known as the Hungry Mile, and we'll return to that one day. But um, just go and have a look at the other side, the western side of that building, because in fact it drops down about four storeys. It was quite an extraordinary building for its time. Now, I must say I haven't been able to find out whether that sandstone escarpment is natural or whether it was created by quarrying. I rather suspect the latter. But whatever it was, uh, the building is worth having a look at. If you then make your way back up Gas Lane, so you're walking back up the slight hill towards Kent Street, if you can cross as some point where you safely can to the other side, you'll come very quickly to the Rocks Fire Station. But just beyond that, there's the first of a couple of very interesting old buildings. The first one you come to are called the Glover Cottages, and it's in fact an amalgam of a couple of buildings, basically two semis, 
semi-detached places, and it dates back to sort of late 1820s, 1830s, and it was in the colonial Georgian style. Stop. You'll see that it sits up on a rock ledge, but that definitely was artificially created by quarrying. And it was built by a cooper, which, as I recall, was a man who made wine casks, called Edward Ewan. And he later sold it to a gentleman called Thomas Glover. And that's where the names have stuck. And it was held, in fact, in the Glover family until about 1900. At that time, when the bubonic plague came to Sydney, which is a reminder to us all that these things have happened before, the land was resumed, presumably for demolition, but whatever the reason was, happily they weren't demolished and they remained in the government ownership for quite some years, indeed until 1979. But in all the years it was in government ownership, was basically under the control of what was first called the Sydney Harbour Trust, which we subsequently knew as the Maritime Services Board, and I must admit I have no idea what you'd call it now. But interestingly, they used it as housing for their workers who would have worked on the docks down in Millers Point, Darling Harbour, that area. And it's a timely reminder of the days when there was that sort of good policy of employers providing accommodation for their workers and particularly for workers in, in critical industries. So it was restored in 1979, not to be residences, but for non-residential purposes and for quite a good number of years. In recent times, it's been occupied by the Australian Institute of International Affairs. Now, can I just mention there that if you're interested in that sort of thing, up until COVID descended, the Institute would have very interesting speakers there at the Glover Cottages, usually on Tuesday nights. So if you're at all interested, make some inquiries. The place immediately to the north, and they indeed sit almost cheek by jowl, is a very interesting place called Richmond Villa. Now, it's very particularly interesting. It's a beautiful building. It's said to be in the Gothic Revival style, but it in fact wasn't built where it is. In about 1849, a colonial architect called Mortimer Lewis bought some land behind buildings in Macquarie Street and fronting onto the domain. And he, in fact, built this place, Richmond Villa, and he named it, uh, as his home. And as you can imagine, it would have been a fantastic spot, uh, looking over the domain and out towards the harbour. Lewis was a prominent architect at the time, and he also designed Bronte House, which is out in Randwick. The land or the house passed into the ownership of the parliament because it was of course, immediately behind Parliament House and was occupied by the New South Wales Parliament from 1880 to 1975. And my recollection is that for some period it was the home of the Clerk of the Parliaments. Now, that would have been the job of jobs if you had that position and you also picked up a house like that on the domain. Happily, uh, when it had to be removed because of the building of the extension for parliamentary offices at the back of Parliament House, it was disassembled stone by stone and was re-erected on its current site in Kent Street in 1977. And it too has a very interesting organisation as its long-time occupant, and that is the Office of the Australian Society of Genealogists. Worth a look. It's a very attractive building with that gothic pointy look.
If we head on down past Richmond Villa a bit, just keep looking on your right, there'll be some tennis courts. And before the tennis courts, there's a flight of stairs runs up. Now, that's called the Agar Stairs. We're going to return to this in another episode, but let me just say, I think it is one of the prettiest spots in Sydney. It's out of the way. It's not often busy, not often used, but it's a wonderful flight of stairs that goes up and brings you out up into Observatory Park which in the early days was where Fort Philip was. But we'll return to all that. And there's a few wonderful houses which come out onto the stairs. It's a wonderful European-Italian look. As I say, we'll return to those. But if we cross back over the road, you go into High Street, which runs down for a short distance, then turns right. Now, the views as one turns right into High Street, are striking. You're looking down over the Darling Harbour, the Barangaroo area. There's the new Crown Casino building. I'm no lover of casinos, but I have to concede that it's a striking building. And then you look a little more to your right and you can see the fantastic park that's been created on what is, in fact, the actual Miller's Point, where Now, we're not going to deal with the park in detail, but it's an absolute must if you haven't been there to go for a wander around it. It's just sensational. And as I say, as you're walking down High Street and looking to your left, if you can just imagine, there would have just sort of been rolling, small rolling hills running down to Darling Harbour. Now, that whole general area is called Miller's Point, but the point itself is where the park is, and that was originally called Cockle Bay Point. On the 30th of June, 1814, a sergeant, Sergeant Thomas Miller, who was a sergeant and his another one of these wonderful regiment names of the 73rd Regiment of Foot, and he got a grant of land on Miller's Point. And at the time he got that, there was already a mill on that point, and it was owned by an ex-convict called Jack Layton. Apparently, it's not the Sergeant Miller who gave us the name of Miller, but In fact, it was Jack Layton because he was referred to as Jack the Miller and the area became known as Jack, the Miller's Point. He was the first there, but a couple followed him. There were three windmills at those early years of the 1800s through to about 1820, 1825. The one very much to the south was built by a Mr. Underwood, and the one in the middle was built by a chap called Davis. Now, interestingly, he bequeathed his windmill and his land to the Roman Catholic Church with the stipulation that it be used as a nunnery. That apparently never came to pass. And also, as you're looking down at Miller's Point where the park is, just to the left where the little cove has been, a very attractive little cove being edged with all sandstone blocks placed higgledy-piggledy, There was also on that point a military bathing house. So the soldiers of those days must have been terribly timid and proper people because they had their own bathing house. But it's worth just touching on John Layton a bit because he was a very interesting character. He was born in 1769 and lived until 1826. He arrived as a convict on a ship On the 7th of May, 1804, he being then aged 35, now as a sign of the appalling circumstances of the time, he and numerous others had been sentenced to death at the York Assizes for stealing some sheep, which does sound more than a tad over the top. Anyway, I suppose on one view it, he was very lucky because his 
sentence was converted to transportation, and off he went. And he, in fact, arrived, along with 337 other poor old people, on a ship called the Coromandel and Experiment. He uh, obviously behaved himself. He got a ticket of leave, and he was able to begin his mill. Now, he died when he was only uh, 57, and he met his death in a most unfortunate way because apparently he'd been at his home and he went back to the mill after dinner to check on something and he'd obviously had a fair bit to drink because he apparently was climbing up a ladder to access whatever he had to access and presumably because he'd had a bit too much, um, slipped and fell some 20 feet and died. So really the short picture of John Layton would help to make it understandable why the area of Miller's Point became famous for the windmills firstly, but also for ships, inns and larrikins. So it would have been a pretty rough and wild old place in those times. And I should have mentioned a little earlier on that the original name of the area we're talking about was down as Coogee. C-O-O-D-Y-E-E, which is a very attractive name. So our walk down High Street will bring you to Argyle Street. It's a very attractive area there, quite wide. There's another hotel called the Burdekin just across to your left. So you go left into Argyle, then that will bring you into Bettington. And finally, you'll turn right into Merriman Street. And when you're in Merriman Street, you're getting to the approximate area where the windmills would have been. But it's worth wandering down Merriman Street. There's a small number of houses in that street on the eastern side. But when you get down the end, there's two houses, which must be in one of the most attractive spots you could be in Sydney. They're not particularly large, but they're in a wonderful position, which, of course, has been made much better by the fact that the park is put in. It was previously a fairly uh, run-down, out-of-the-way area, and there used to be a very large tower opposite those houses, which was the tower for the operation of the Port of Sydney in the days when we did have a lot of bigger ships coming into Sydney, but that was demolished some time ago. So that's probably enough, I think, for this episode. But if you retrace your steps, get back into Argyle Street and you'll in fact come back to the intersection of Argyle and Kent. And on your left there, you'll see the Lord Nelson Hotel. And that is a hotel that dates back to at least 1842, that sort of time. So it's a wonderful link to the past, and it's a great pub as well. And the final thing I'll mention is just down behind the Lord Nelson, a little to the north, the next street is Windmill Street, which, of course, is obvious to us now because we know it ran down to where the windmills were. So I think that's, as I say, enough for today. I hope you enjoy that amble. We'll return in the next episode to this same area because we'll go up onto Observatory Hill, which has got to be the jewel of Sydney, I think, uh, on any basis. Stay happy, stay well, and get a bit of time to amble. Until the next time, cheerio. Cheerio.